this is the data privacy detective. And today we're talking about bail, bail and privacy. Now, what do they have to do with each other? And you're, you're going to learn there's quite a bit they have to do with each other. And today to lead us through a really interesting tour of the issue of bail, bail reform, it's much in the news, is Ken W. Good. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Now, Ken, you've been an attorney for uh, over three decades, and you've written numerous articles about bail and criminal justice issues. Uh, you're a member of the board of directors of the Professional Bondsman of Texas, and that's really the voice of the bail industry uh, in Texas. And uh, as an association of its kind, it works very closely with the various stakeholders in the criminal justice system to make improvements as, as it goes along. And uh, if you don't mind, tell, tell us just a bit at the, to get us started on the the bondsman's view of bail and some of the bail reform issues we hear where uh, there's certainly a great public debate uh, about whether we should even have bail in, in one extreme view or whether uh, judges should oppose bail in every case or whatever. And what's, the, what's your view of that? Bail has been around for 200 years. And it's been around for that long because it does one thing. It does it very well. It gets people out of jail and make sure they come to court. And if they don't, if the defendant does not return to court as the surety required, there's a penalty that has to be paid by the surety. So, you know, as we talk about bail reform, historically, it's been about ways to improve the criminal justice system. But this round of bail reform that we've been talking about the last few years is unique because it doesn't to me, appear that we're trying to improve the system, but we're trying to fundamentally change it. And a lot of times for the worse. And, you know, I've kind of come to the conclusion that a lot of these reforms are not really reforms, but they're pushes to decriminalize a lot of crime. And they're having a lot of a major impact on rising crime and on safe public safety. And you're also seeing it impact uh, the debate now as we're getting more and more data that's confirming essentially what I'm seeing. Yeah, and we've seen issues in some states of whether judges are allowed to take public safety into account in considering bail. And we're not here really so much to debate that issue. People can have legitimate views on all sides of that. But to explore, well, what are the privacy issues here? Let's, let's pause for a minute. Someone is arrested for whatever crime it may be. It may be a misdemeanor, maybe a felony, and uh, they're, they're going to end up in court. And courts in general are, are publicly open uh, institutions. But a lot, I, I think very few of us really understand what you do uh, in, in, in this business. So let's just start with this. The, the person uh, ends up uh, before a judge about bail. And, you know, how does that involve individual privacy? And let, you know, we're going to talk about this broadly. One is the privacy of this person who is not yet convicted of anything, presumed innocent under our system. But there are other people that take uh, domestic uh, disturbances where a husband's arrested and maybe the wife is very concerned about where what battered women's shelter she's, you know, there are issues involving the public, uh, release of people and so on. So it's a, I want to talk privacy generally, but but help us understand how it really works. So the, the, the arrested person shows up in front of a judge and is all that public? What information gets in front of a judge and, and then becomes a matter of data? Well, you know, it's going to setting bail is a state issue predominantly. And so it's going to vary from state to state. But the majority states kind of have a similar constitution. And, you know, you, Texas is not unique, but 
It has a constitution that the only constitutional right of type of release you have is to the private surety bondsman. So anything else that can be limited, can be granted, can be taken away at the discretion of the legislature. So when you appear before the judge, the magistrate, the magistrate in Texas is required to take into consideration various factors. You know, you've mentioned a presumption of innocence, but that usually applies only at trial, not on what assurance you're going to give to the court that you're going to return to respond to the charges that have been filed against you. That's an important so the, point. It's really not guilt or innocence that's even involved at the, at the bail stage. Am I right? Absolutely. It's public safety. And what are the chances that you're going to show up? And you're now seeing this debate, which is very interesting, where the, there's one faction that wants to form uh, to kind of encapsulate the debate on failure to appear on a willful failure. So what is the chances that you'll willfully fail to show up and you really shouldn't be punished for your incompetence or your stupidity or your forgetfulness? And historically, that's not really been the issue, you know, because you know, cr criminal cases are very unique. You can't go forward if the defendant's not there. So the case has to be put on hold. Right. And so the probably the most important factor, and we added that in the last few years in Texas, is criminal history. And I, I think the most important factor for determining whether somebody should be released or what their bail should be is criminal history. And that's a matter of data. And I and bail happens, the bail decision happens within days of, of a person being arrested and, and in, in comes a person. So what, what is the kind of data does a, does a magistrate or a judge get? Uh, probably has the opportunity to talk to the uh, defendant who may or may want, not want to say anything, may or may not be represented by a, law, a lawyer. But what is the data that comes to a magistrate? And, and is that public? Uh, okay. So let's just start two years ago. Two years ago, Texas didn't require the review of criminal histories, but the case law said you could. But the only you know digital uh, criminal histories they had was the county, You know that county. We didn't have a statewide system that was easily accessible like the te Texas Department of Public Safety Records. And so in the last legislative session, we passed a requirement that magistrates review criminal histories before setting bail, and they enacted what we call a public safety report, which is the mechanism that we're dis using to display the criminal history. And that's a great question. I mean, you can enter their information, push a button, it interfaces with the De uh, Texas Department of Public Safety database on their criminal history or criminal history database and will display it into a digital uh, public safety report. Well, that's a good point. Uh, is, is that already a public record then, or is that a, a semi-private or a private record within the safety system? You know, that hasn't been litigated yet, but I would say your that's part of the whole debate. You know, part of the debate on criminal justice reform, bail reform, is we should do charge type reform. So we're not looking at individuals. We're not looking at criminal histories. So we're not getting into those privacy issues. But Texas has gone the other way and they're emphasizing criminal histories, which means get into your business and find out about you as a person. Yeah. And so we're targeting what I would characterize as gangs, organized crime or career criminals. We, we're wanting to treat them differently than first time offenders. And to me, that just makes sense. But yeah. you know, I've heard somebody argue recently, well, it's hard for the government to do those types of differentiations. It's easy for them to do across the board. And so maybe that's the basis or of the push in those jurisdictions where they just want to stay out of your business and do an across the board determination, which leads to decriminalization. 
And uh, I mean, from your experience, do magistrates and judges Google people or, you know, make no, calls? No, no. How, how does this no. really work? You know, what information gonna, do they get? Well, they're like you mentioned, they're going to be asking questions of the defendant, what he's going to disclose. They're going to have their local records. And so and they're going to rely upon the D.A., and the police department who've done their investigation. DA being the district attorney. Yes. The prosecution side, office, right? To say, hey, what are y'all showing on this individual? And then if they have a statewide database, they'll search it or pull up the information they have available for that. And then from all the, those different sources or that those different yeah. places that they can get data, they make a determination based upon the factors required by the legislature in setting bail. All right. And is the bail decision a public, uh, you know, an open court uh, type of thing, or can the judge do this privately? And if there are privacy issues involved, how, how does that work? You know, that's actually an issue that's under litigation currently. There's a case pending at the Fifth Circuit called Booth versus Galveston County. It's been argued for over a year and a half. So, uh, I mean, you would expect an opinion to already have been uh, handed down on the issue of whether the county is required to provide counsel for the bail hearing. And the county's position is, look, this is a is not a core proceeding. And a core proceeding is not a proceeding that requires counsel to be present if, if they're poor. So I think you have that debate going on. I, I think the county, a majority of the counties would say it's settled debate that a setting bail is not a core proceeding. It's kind of a private proceeding. So you don't have to have an attorney uh, representing them. And then you have this push as a part of uh, bail reform that you should have counsel at these hearings. Now, I will just point out, you know, for the couple of counties that do do this, you, I don't know why you have an attorney. You should just have an MP3 recording because they say the same thing. I recommend a PR bond. I recommend a personal bond. I recommend a personal bond. I mean, that's all they're going to say at that hearing. So I don't know why you need a, an attorney. You could just push a button and have that recording play and you get the same result a lot cheaper. Interesting. I mean, well, let me turn to another button that could be pushed, the front page stuff about AI, artificial intelligence. I mean, we have certainly see that enter the criminal justice system through the sentencing process with guidelines and standard rules that judges at least ought to think about. And again, that varies state by state. How about in bail? Are you beginning to see algorithms being used about a, an arrested person's background? Yes. And we've kind of seen that push go full circle. Initially, the push was that was going to the be going to be the big panacea, the big solution to replacing the private surety bell industry, and they were uh, and they came up with this idea of a, a risk assessment that would be an, an algorithm that would decide whether somebody was should be released or detained. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with it is, you know, risk assessments are great; they're great at predicting what groups will do but they're very poor at predicting what individuals will do. And since they predict what groups do, they have an element where they take into account your, the, racial, the racial makeup of that group. And so they've been under a lot of attack. And I think the science has come out saying they should not be used as a part of criminal justice reform. The largest uh, digital companies in the world came out with a joint press uh, release saying that algorithms should not be a part of pretrial uh, setting bail or criminal justice reform. And so you really only see one or two groups still pushing for a risk assessment. I think they're out of favor now. I think the, the uh, studies that have come in are all consistently the same. 
And really the groups that are still pushing them are the groups that really came up with them in the first place. Maybe one last set of questions, of course, is you pointed out bail is very much state by state. I mean, there is a federal system, but that's the slight majority of criminal cases that take place in America. Uh, and I, I take it there's no federal, there's no uniform act about bail, uh, this sort of thing. But where do you think it's headed? I, I, I'll give you a, a war story about a, a European case, very different system where data privacy is part of the uh, European Bill of Rights, uh, common rights. And a uh, gentleman uh, sued to have his uh, conviction on something uh, removed because he had the right to be forgotten. Very different way of thinking about privacy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And by the way, he prevailed. This was an Italian case. We don't have a federal statute or, to my knowledge, state statutes that say such a thing. But as to bail decisions and the information that comes in front of a judge and might become public, how do you see this evolving over the next five, 10 years? Well, I see it. What we're currently doing is not sustainable. You can see it across the country where crime is increasing, where public safety is becoming a greater issue. And you can see like in New York, where we've rolled back their bail reform three times now. And so we're seeing this more and more of a realization that this push did not work and it's actually making a, the system worse than it was. So I think we're not sustainable, but we still have some jurisdictions pushing it. So we're having this division in our country, a division between not what works, but a division on based solely on politics. If you're have one group of supporters, you got to do X. And if you've got another group of supporters, then you can't do X. And, you know, that's dangerous for our country. We're, we're seeing a little bit of what you're talking about in the federal system where they pass statutes that say you can't ask somebody about their criminal history before when you're interviewing them. And, and I've always thought, or I've thought recently that, you know, what do you, what is that company's response going to be to when that person ends up having a criminal history, they hire them, and they end up doing something really bad and hurting somebody. And then that person sues the company for not doing their due diligence. And, and the company says, well, but the government precluded me from asking that question. And I think that also you can't is not sustainable. You and I know attorneys will take advantage of that situation, and it's ripe for being taken advantage of. And because I've we're setting it, up know, a system that is is doomed. We're setting up a system that is set for failure. We're not trying to improve. We're trying to decriminalize. That can't last. It, you know, as crime goes up, there will be a push. There'll be a backlash, just like there was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And we're kind of repeating those mistakes. Right. Very interesting. And certainly in many states, judges are elected. And in a picture, a judge who has made a decision that uh, to release someone, whether it's on low bail or no bail, and then the person does something terrible and it gets used in an election. So there's a privacy even of the judge that's at stake here, isn't there? A yes. And, you know, Harris County, Harris County Crime Stoppers is compiling a list right now, and they have over 180 p names on it where a judge released somebody either on a PR bond or low bail, and then they ended up killing somebody. And, you know, yeah. they may have been released on a murder charge to begin with. So you know, I've argued that if you're not careful in Harris County, you get one free murder before they're going to hold you. Yeah. So a lot of privacy angles to this. And you've had, any last thoughts for us to understand how bail works and how it affects uh, everyone's individual privacy? 
you know, we always want to improve the system, but we don't want to destroy the system because of politics. And so we are having a debate on bail reform, but it's not really a debate on how to improve. It's on some places it's on how to destroy. And and we're seeing the consequences as time passes and the consequences are really bad. And that's why we're having rollbacks. And so we need to look for ways to improve any system. And, you know, our criminal justice system, which I think is the best in the world, always can be improved. But we can't just throw out systems that have worked for 200 years because we don't like them or the politics is such and don't have anything to replace them with. There's a reason why Bell's been around for 200 years. It does uh, the private surety system is because it does a great job and there's nothing to replace it with that works anywhere near on that level. Till we get to that point, we need to continue with what we know instead of destroying it. Well, Ken, thank you very much uh, for uh, what you've helped us take a tour of today and to consider the, the many issues involved with privacy. When we look at the issue of bail, how it's set, what information is in front of a judge. So, because we all want fair decisions to be made, we want the public to be protected, and we want the rights of, of uh, people who are accused of a crime but not yet convicted to be considered as well. So this was a very helpful exploration. Thank you very much, Ken, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. As always, I'll remind us all, protecting your personal privacy begins with you.